All right, welcome, welcome everybody. Happy Sunday, what, what a celebration for the baby dedication. Yeah, uh, and you know, I think as we continue on in the series in the book of Acts, you know, I, I think as we think about life, even as we think about the baby dedication, it is just, it's, it's a blessing. And so kind of viewing it as that and just seeing um, <clears throat> the men's uh, privilege to be raising our, our kids and just allowing that to soak in for, at least for me, of just how Caleb is a gift from God. And, you know, when we take a step back, we see the greatness of God. And that's hopefully what we want to continue to see the greatness of God in this series in the book of Acts and <clears throat> kind of the overarching experiencing the greatness of God together as a community. And today we're going to continue on in Acts 8. And it's only a few passages, uh, as, as we know, the, 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 the announcements and everything else happening but it's in a few passages, but, it, but I titled it The Unstoppable Gospel, The Unstoppable Gospel. And you can see in this map of just how the early church grew, how it grew from Jerusalem in the bottom left, uh, bottom right corner, and it continues and it spreads throughout the world, right? This unstoppable gospel. And we're going to look at two things only today, uh, not for my normal three, but two. The first is the power in persecution. And we're going to see in this path, the power in persecution and the second prayer for boldness, right? I want us to focus on those two things as we see the, you know, the early church spread, the unlikely factors of that. The first, the power in persecution. Let's read in Acts 8, verses 1 through 4. On that day, this is right after what we preached on last week, but stoning a Stephan. <clears throat> on that day, the death of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, right? This idea that this, what happened after the stoning of Stephen is this great persecution and where Saul is going house to house, right? This idea that the persecution that Saul was trying to do, persecuting the Christians, was a way to put an end to this spreading of the gospel, end of the sharing, end of, of teaching of, the, of who Jesus is. And imagine that, imagine that for a second, the, the fear that perhaps it created in the people, right? They created people where your home, even your home is not safe, right? They're going to your houses and they're dragging people uh, from your own house, men and women, right? This picture of just seeing even your neighbors, imagine a scenario like that, where you see that happening all around. You know, and the first time when I think about this, I think about it in, in fear. I think about it in ways of just kind of, okay, well, this is happening. Let's stop. But rather, what's interesting, what's interesting here is the, the heart of the apostles and the people there, perhaps we're not in that posture of fear, of slowing down, of <clears throat> taking a step back and reevaluating what they are doing. And I think that's the power of persecution sometimes, the difficulties and circumstances, is that it makes us really take a step back and ask, why are we doing this? Is this what I want to do? Am I enduring this for the right reasons and right belief, right? 
Because it says in, in this passage that those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went. I, I want to bring a posture, not of fear, but a posture of rejoicing, a posture of joy, and a boldness, right? <clears throat> I'm tying things together. In Acts 5, we see what we Peter and John, when they went before the Sanhedrin, when they preached, when they shared the good news, and they <clears throat> were told to stop in four, in chapter four, they were told to stop, they were brought back, they were, you know, commanded to stop, they were beaten, they're thrown in jail. In Acts 5, verses 41 and 42, I think this gives a, a heart posture of really where they are. Instead of thinking of the scattering, and sometimes when I think about scattering, you think of the word, like, of bugs when you turn on the light they kind of scatter they move to the side right they go away and you're they don't want to stay outside but rather the posture of the apostles the people at that time were probably perhaps different in acts 5 verses 41 to 42 the apostles left the sanhedrin this was after they were challenged or told not to to stop and they were beaten it says rejoice rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for their name for the name Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I think when I think about this, it brings into a, a different perspective, right? Not a perspective of fear, but a perspective of rejoicing, a perspective of, of joy in this moment, right? I've tried to look for a picture, and I thought this was a funny one of Legos, especially how my, my kids love Legos. But this idea that they were leaving, they were hooray for suffering. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that we think about in suffering, in persecution. Most of the time when we think about this, we think about it in a very negative way, right? A negative connotation of persecution and suffering. It's something that we want to avoid. But the early church, the apostles, what we see and what in Acts 5 and <clears throat> the, how they lived out, that they were rejoicing for suffering in the name, in Jesus's name, right? This idea that they would be sent off, right? They were reminded, reminded of what Jesus spoke to them about. In Acts 1, verse 8, when Jesus is being, <clears throat> when he's, he's leaving them, he says this to them, and I think this brings it up, brings it into their memory. In Acts 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive the power, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? They remembered this. And as they kind of what you see in Acts 5, that they were rejoicing. They were going house to house. They were sharing the good news. I think that's what <clears throat> this, what we see in Acts 1, 8 verses 1 through 4. Right? That those who were scat had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It wasn't preaching out of fear, it wasn't preaching because, you know, they, they had to do it, but they did, wanted to do it. They rejoiced in it. They desired for it. What's interesting is this word scattered, right? I mentioned before this idea of dispersing, right? This, <clears throat> when, you, when I think about it, it is, you know, oftentimes thinking, turning on the lights with, with bugs running away. But this idea of scattered in the Greek word that is used, is means dispersal, right? And it means what it is, is actually tied to this idea of spreading and scattering seeds to grow, right? So it's not dispersing of 
<clears throat> dispersing in ways that scatter of running away in fear, but rather this idea of scattering is it's dispersing and scattering seeds. And this is what happens is that they started growing. They started going all over and preaching wherever they went. And Acts 11 actually records this a little bit of just how far they went, right? It says Acts 11, um, 11 uh, verse 19. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. All right, just to give you a, <clears throat> a kind of a view of this on a map, right? Jerusalem is in the bottom where you see that. It's about 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is before cars, you know, <clears throat> even to drive 300 miles, it takes a while. But the spread of the gospel, right, it spreads into Antioch. And what we see is Antioch at the future becomes one of the center places. Actually, at that time, it's already in the Roman Empire. Later, it is a, it's a centerpiece of travel, of trade. People from all around would gather in that area, right? We'll see this in verse 20, that even so, Cyrene, even somewhere else in North Africa, you see that there's mention of that, of people in Antioch. Right? It's in verse 20, right after that Verse 19, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord <coughs> Jesus Christ, Jesus. You know, I, I think when we think about this and when we think the migration and the, the ways that God, the gospel spreads, it is amazing to me. It is amazing to me that these men and women, they were scattered they were spread they're sharing the gospel because they desired and they wanted to imagine leaving your home everything that you hold perhaps comfortable with and leaving not because when you're thinking oh man there's gonna be persecution i can't stay but rather they see it as a persecution in ways to to send them off a way to reach people that desire to come to know jesus Right? They, they see that as a movement of God moving people away from Jerusalem and a place to Antioch where they were gathering believers and new people all around. Right? Antioch is supposed to, <clears throat> in, in the ancient world, it was about 500,000 people to 800. Uh, one of the historians mentions that of just how it was one of the third largest city at that time of what, what they knew of. And this is obviously a historian in the Roman Empire. Right? And it's a it's just important commercial and eco economic center. And this is where God moves the people and how the gospel spreads. I think about this and I wonder, what would that look like for us? Right? This is a, a map of Baltimore. There's a cool feature in Google Maps that allows you to measure distances. And I was like, how far is 300 miles? Right? And I, <laughs> I looked at for where we are, to covers over Pittsburgh, almost to Cleveland. And I was thinking, what would that look like? You know, when we think about the spread and the scatter of the gospel, do we see ourselves as the one called and sent? Or do we see ourselves sometimes holding on and saying, this is for me and me alone? Right? When they saw and then when they were scattered, that they were spreading the good news all around, that they preached it wherever they went, they uprooted their lives and they went. What was meant to stop them, the persecution, actually became the catalyst for the gospel to expand, right? For the good news 
to reach all over to the ends of the earth. I think the power in persecution is something that we often, often are reminded that shouldn't be a negative thing. It shouldn't be something that, oh, let me just try to avoid. Let me try to circumvent. But rather that we can see that there is a power in it, the sharpening in it of asking, what do we believe? What do we desire? And for the early church, as they saw this persecution and as they were scattering, that is how the gospel continued to spread. The second point is, is, <clears throat> is one that I believe not just the, the posture of their heart of rejoicing, but also a desire of their heart of prayer for boldness. You see that as they scattered, that they preached the word wherever they went. And I mentioned this because it's not out of fear, but out of joy. But as they preached wherever they went, you know, I think this is the difference between those two, right? When you're scattering, when you're leaving, part of it could be thinking if it's out of fear, I'm learning from my mistake. You know, I've been uprooted. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to rebuild my life. Right? But I think what, what you see in, in this rejoicing is how it kind of was rooted in this idea of boldness, right? that they desired to share the gospel wherever they went with whomever they met. You see this in Acts 4, verses 29 to 31. Again, this is when Peter and John were in Sanhedrin. They were questioned. They, were, they, were, you know, they saw the layman come to be able to walk, everyone was questioning. But then you see persecution happening pretty much immediately after, right, to Peter and John. And after they are released, they go back. <clears throat> and the believers, this is titled the believer's prayer in, in this section, right, by commentators. In Acts 4, verses 29 to 31, again, it gives a posture and also a desire, a picture of the desire to heart. It says, now, Lord, Consider their threats. These are threats of the leaders in Jerusalem and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I think not only was it when they saw this as a command to go, but rather, at the same time, it was their desire to ask God to pray for boldness, to be enabled to speak of his word with great boldness. You know, I think when you think about this, you think about the people that were involved in the early church, right? We, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in Acts 4, that the, the leaders in Jerusalem saw Peter and John as unschooled ordinary men, right? And they saw that these men had been with Jesus, these unschooled, ordinary men. You know, I think this weekend, it was, it's, uh, you know, I'm so thankful for my, my in-laws, you know, that, that are here. They, they keep, they allow me and my wife to do all the things that we do. But not only that, you know, this weekend, I've been blessed that my dad is, my, is a mechanic, you know, and what happened was, you know, I turned on my car and I hear this sound uh, and it's for the last two weeks. And I was just thinking, 
oh, it sounds weird. This is like clicking sound. And I was just like, oh, I drove away from my in-laws and, and, and I was going to a meeting and I turned around. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a little late because I want him to hear what's wrong with this. Right. And then, and it turns out that there was a huge, or there's a, yeah, there's a huge problem. And my, my dad spent the whole day working on the car and just trying to fix the water pump and everything else. Right. <clears throat> I think about this because oftentimes perhaps in our lives, and that's what we're looking for, for our cars, for a mechanic is someone trustworthy, someone's equipped, someone that hears the problem and just automatically knows what's, what to do, right? And perhaps that's sometimes when we think about our lives and our walks with God. Like if I were only trained, if I were only set up, if I could only know all these things and I could figure out the problems, the, the intellectual arguments, the ways to conversate and the things to bring up, then it would be good. Right, then I could share, then I could would do this for God, or then God, when God calls me, I'll be ready. Right, we see this as, as kind of the prerequisite of being used by God, kind of being equipped. Rather, rather, do we see it as just kind of simultaneously, that we're equipped as we're called. Right? The, the people of the early church, one of the things that stood out is their desire and their prayer for boldness their desire and their prayer for boldness to speak. I, I realize so often in our lives, it's not what we can give to God. Actually, we have not much to offer. He doesn't even need any of it. But rather, this desire of God, use me. God, send me. You know, I love this, this phrase in scripture, here I am before God, of just this idea that, God, you are all powerful. Nothing can defeat your plans, not even persecution that was meant to stop actually became a catalyst for your growth. But if we have set up barriers and, and ways of saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready, I think this is what I want to encourage us as a church, as individuals, is what we see in this early church of people that desired and prayed for boldness. And as they prayed for this boldness that they were sent, these were people, and remember this, these were not the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. These were the people, not even with the three years of encountering Jesus and all the time spent with Jesus, but these were people that <clears throat> perhaps stayed for that long, but perhaps were very far less in terms of the amount of time they spent with Jesus and the teaching that they had. But that they desired, they desired of to be used, they desired to be sent, and they went. These were the people that God would use, this unlikely factors of persecution, the scattering, and of ordinary people that were not necessarily trained. And there's nothing wrong with training. There's actually great, great richness in that. But I, I do wonder how often we perhaps disqualify ourselves and we put a prerequisite before God. And perhaps the idea and what we see is so simple that the desire to just pray and ask God, use me, speak through me, give me the boldness and the courage to speak, even when it's hard. As that goes on, you know, in Acts 5, Acts 8, verses 5 to 8, it says, Philip went, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. 
for with streaks and pure spirits came out of many, and many were, who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. You know, this boldness and this going, sometimes we feel, oh man, am I taking away from people? Am I making it hard? Am I going to, you know, <clears throat> have awkward conversations? But just like when we think of our perception of persecution and kind of turning it the ways that the apostles saw of joy and of opportunity, perhaps we see that as when we are called for boldness, that it isn't so much of of am I going to ruin their time or interrupt what we're doing, but rather that it would bring joy in the conversation. It would bring joy in the relationships that we may have with those around us. You know, let's <clears throat> end with this story. <clears throat> is that, you know, this is an old logo for Stepping Stone. And, you know, I, I, when I came in in 99 and I was... Um, a freshman in college, you know, we went through this a, a period of time where, you know, many times I, we sent this email that I sent out in February 10th, 2010, right? And, it, and I just want to kind of share a little bit of what, what I wrote to the alums at that time, right? The, I said this, it says, each year stepping stone depends on God to provide the funds needed to continue. I still remember the early days and we had a, only a handful of people and Pastor Roger would announce that the church would close if we didn't raise enough money. It would always be a shock for people to hear, and then we would scramble to find ways to raise support. I remember the stress and heartbreak of the possibility a church would close down without enough funds. Year after year, we would barely raise enough support to keep going for another year. But now I believe we have a new opportunity to raise steady support for this ministry. We finally have a network of over 140 alumni, and with many of you have finished school and are working. I encourage you to consider giving not only because of what God has done for you here in the past, but also because of what God is doing now and will do in the future. My hope is that one day when a new pastor comes to lead Stepping Stone, he or she will not have to constantly face the battle to keep the church afloat, but rather receive support from invested alumni that he or she never have met, even met before. This support is an outward demonstration of trust and that God will continue the work at Hopkins to transform lives for Christ as he has done in us. Right, I, I, and I wrote this. I will end with this, continuing Acts, this passage. In Acts 11, 29 to 30, actually messed up with the three, zero. It says, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Right, I said, These were the new disciples that were scattered that became at Antioch. And all around, and these were the ones that then decided later on to <clears throat> give back to Jer Judea, right? To Jerusalem, to people in the Jerusalem. And I sent this in 2010 as, you know, as to our alums at Stepping Stone. And many of them I'd grown, I went to college with, I've known. It wasn't a plea for, hey, help me, but rather of just what the bigger thing of what was happening at the campus. And I think about this in many ways from 2010 till now, all of our support at Stepping Stone has been raised through our alums for these past 12 years and more. And more so they have sent people like myself, Alan and Richard through seminary. And I think about this, that <clears throat> what I struggled with when I first graduated was this idea in the sense that many of my friends, my alums 
were moving away. They were going to different places that, that God was calling them to. And I felt, wait, I'm left behind or I desire to stay. But where are my friends? Do you know, I was like, oh, how come God, you can't have people stay here? We serve together longer. And there are, and there are many great friendships that we've developed over the years. But at that time, I was asking, well, why, God, have you not brought more? But rather, when he showed this, and when he was reminding me, is that he was, the ways that I see a stepping stone of growth and people graduating in collegiate ministry in general, of sending people out so that they would be a blessing to those all around them, that they would be pillars in the churches and places where God has put them and have design and purpose for them. And in doing so, that much of what I see now, 12 years later, has been the support and has seen the fruition of this. I'm humbled that our alums would do this. And for many of the stepping stones that you are here today, it is because of those alums. The ones that you never known, the ones that continue to do so, even in this church, the <clears throat> countless people before that purchased this building, that used it for his glory, and that we can partake in this, and this idea of God using what is unlikely, what began as something that is perhaps unsustainable, but yet his plans never fail. And what he was doing at that time continues to what he, what he does now. I don't know what that means for us. I don't know what that means for us at Grace Life for Stepping Stone. That doesn't mean that we'll just continue forever. No. But that does mean in what we can see are two things that I hope for us <clears throat> in this idea of the unstoppable, unstoppable gospel. Is that when we encounter persecution, difficult times, I think it is one that we could take a step back and ask, where is our heart posture? Are we seeing and the goodness in it? Even though it's hard, and I'm not saying just brush it over. And there, there might be a long time of wrestling and of even in, the, in tough times. But has that sharpened our love and our desire for God? And what we see in the power of persecution that they scattered at the gospel spread. And secondly, which I pray and I hope for our church is this idea of praying for boldness. That as they prayed for this boldness, that they were sent to jail, that they were persecuted, that they were scattered, they left things behind, but they also saw great joy in their life. Not, not of just sacrifice, but of joy, of seeing the kingdom of God here right now. And in doing so, the gospel spread throughout from Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Let's pray as we just kind of let that <clears throat> move in our hearts in the spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. <clears throat> Lord, we pray, Lord. We pray for not just for giftings and talents, But Lord, we pray for boldness and courage. We pray for our hearts to have that boldness and, and courage. Not because of what we can muster, but because of what your spirit enables. Lord, give us that boldness 
to speak of your word, to speak of your life in ours, Lord, to all those around us. May we share of your goodness. May we desire to see great joy of your power and restoration, your kingdom here on earth. Lord, speak, Lord. Let us know and hear of your voice, Lord. To know that we are never alone. To know that you will never forsake us. That in the moments of darkness, may you be that beacon of light. Lord, that guides us, that becomes so bright because everything else is dark. May we hold on to you. May we see that. May that give us the richness of this relationship that you have for us. May we see the privilege and rejoice the way that the apostles and the early church did. Help us, Lord, in the moments that we are struggling or sad disappointed may we just lay them before you Lord we just pray for this church Lord may we live out the gospel not just between the confines of these this building but may we live it out daily Lord in our neighborhood at our work with our families with our friends with our extracurriculars with our hobbies may people see that we have been with you. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.